today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. You could see the futility of pursuing this path that leads to death. You could see the effects of darkening on your mind and the mind of the people around you. You see a hardness. And that's right. That's exactly what Paul is describing. You need to see that. You need to see that change is necessary. You can't just stay in your sin. But if you're a Christian, you also need to see, you, you too need to take sin seriously. That it's a real danger, even though many times it doesn't appear like it. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock and you hide in place. Today, Pastor Ricky will be warning us not to believe the lie that tells us that we don't need to change our sinful behavior, as well as the lie that says we can't change. Christ died for you so that he could deliver you out of your sin, not just to save you from the punishment of sin. God commands that you live pure just as he is pure, and that you be holy just as he is holy. He didn't save you so you could stay the way you are. He has delivered you out of bondage so you can now choose life. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 for part one of our message entitled New Life in Christ. Now today we're going to begin by talking about how to grow as a Christian. Uh, And maybe, um, maybe you're new here, maybe you're not a Christian and I think this will still apply to you. Now, I'm a pastor, right? So I talk to lots of different kinds of people. Uh, And typically as a pastor, uh, I'm going to just really oversimplify this and say that generally you encounter two kinds of people when it comes to dealing with issues. Maybe somebody's brought an issue up to you or maybe you're brought into an issue to to resolve a conflict or to work through uh, a family issue or uh, maybe somebody needs help with a particular area of their life. And in general, there are two kinds of people. This is oversimplified simplifying, but bear with me. Uh, The first group of people are the I'm really fine people. Uh, I I really am okay. I'm really not, it's not that bad. I just have this little thing. Well, and it's just, uh, other than that, I've got my life basically under control. I'm I'm basically fine. Maybe, maybe I would need help in this area. Or maybe an extreme example is, you know, couples come in for counseling and one spouse is like, that guy is totally messed up. And the guy's like, are you serious? I'm like the best husband in the world. Um, and, and part of the counseling is trying to convince him that he may not be the best husband in the world. You know, maybe one of the top 10, maybe uh, at best. And, and even getting him to see that sometimes is a struggle. So you default to thinking, I'm really okay. Or maybe you default the opposite way. Um, you think, I'm hopeless and I'm helpless and I'm messed up and nobody can fix me. So maybe somebody comes in and there's a particular thing they're struggling with in their life and they, the, immediately they're thinking, there's no hope. There's no point in counseling. I'm coming in for counseling. I, I think actually somebody say that, but I'm coming in. I'd love to hear what you say, but I just don't think you can help. I just don't think anyone can help. And, and maybe you default there. And maybe the, the, you're somewhere on the spectrum between those two kinds of people. The people that are like, look, I don't really need anything, but I'm sort of here anyway. And the people that are like, it's hopeless. I don't even know why I'm talking to you. But usually people are somewhere on that spectrum. Here's what I want to communicate today, that these two sort of extremes of how we approach growth as Christians, um, there are two 
equally dangerous lies behind either of them, behind both of these. And both of these lies sort of push us and pull us in these directions. And often, when we get out of one lie, we start believing the other lie. And so we're gonna confront these lies head on this morning with the word of God. So let's read, first of all, the word of the Lord, Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 through 24. This is God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All right, two equal and op- opposite but da- equally dangerous lies I'm gonna talk about today. The first lie is this. First lie is that I don't need to change. I'm good, I don't need religion, I don't need Jesus, I'm fine, at best I need maybe a little bit and I'm good to go. Second, I can't change. I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I'm never gonna be a good parent or a good employee or a good spouse or any of that. First lie, I don't need to change. Second lie, I can't change. So we're talking about the first lie first. The lie, you don't need to change. But this passage directly, right off the bat, confronts that idea. And, And it confronts us by saying that humanity as a whole needs to change because of our enslavement to sin. See, the, the, the popular sort of operating uh, philosophy of the world today is often, I'm okay, you're okay. And I'm not going to say anything against stuff you're doing if you're not saying anything against stuff I'm doing. And suggesting that we as a whole, as humanity as a whole, has a problem that needs to change sometimes feels foreign. But this is exactly what Paul says. He says we as a human race have a problem and he outlines it here. He says, he, he sort of traces out this path. Now, he says, don't walk uh, as the Gentiles do. Let me explain that for a second. He's not basically saying don't behave like a non-Jewish person because that would basically include almost all of us, right? And he's not just saying wholesale, you need to act more Jewish. No, what he's saying is he's, he's writing to a group of people that are predominantly, in this church at least, Jewish. And they are the kind of people that look over at the Gentiles down the street and go, oh my gosh, those people are crazy. Those people are filthy. Those people are corrupt. Those people are immoral. Ugh. And so Paul comes to them and says, don't act like the people that you're despising, that you think are filthy and disgusting and immoral. And he, he, he outlines uses them sort of as an extreme example of the problem with humanity. And let's look at that. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In other words, he's saying that the way that they're walking, the path they're walking is futile. It's in vain. There's no real point. It's just an empty existence, which seems, well, that that seems kind of harsh, Paul. That seems extreme, Why would you say that? Well, he continues, because 
They're walking this futile path because they are darkened in their understanding. So he's saying that the way that they think has been darkened and they don't understand what they're doing. They're, they're pursuing a futile path. Well, why would, you, why would you walk down a path that ends like at the ocean? You're not gonna get anywhere. Paul says, because they don't understand. That's the point. Well, why, why don't they understand? Because, he continues, they're alienated from the life of God. So what Paul is saying is, look, since they've cut themselves off from God, they've, they've, their minds have been darkened and they've begun walking down this futile path. Well, how did they get there? Because of their ignorance, the ignorance that is in them. They don't know the truth. They can't see it. They can't grasp it. Now, this is a very important transition right here because up to that point, you could just say, well, it's just not their fault. They don't know what they're doing. Well, Paul says it all comes back to this. Because, uh, due to, rather, due to their hardness of heart. What, what he's saying is they have chosen sin. Uh, he continues, they have become callous because of their choice of sin and have now given themselves up to all of these impurities and things. So what he's saying is, look, they, we as humanity have chosen sin. We have chosen it again and again and again and again. Just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we pursue sin and we pursue it again and again and again. And the, it starts a chain reaction that leads us to this futile path. Because, because we choose sin, it sears our conscience. Things that we think, okay, I would never do that. Suddenly we're on the path to that. Why? Because our heart becomes hard. And when our heart becomes hard and we're, we become cut off from God, we no longer live according to the truth of God and who he is and, and what he wants for our lives, even though he's our creator and sustainer, we cut ourselves off from that and our minds are darkened and, and we become people who are like zombies marching down this path that leads in the ocean is gonna end in our destruction. And the end result is frightening. He says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, meaning that our dull senses require them to do crazier and crazier things to feel something, to get some kind of a buzz. And there's almost like a, a crazy, insane desire toward every filthy thing. Now, why is Paul, why would he talk about this? Well, remember He's talking to people who, who are used to sort of looking down on the Gentiles over there. Like, those people are terrible. And he means to show them and shock them and say, look, see those people? They're, at, they're further along down the path of sin than you are, but don't walk down that path because that's where it ends. Now, for us, though, we're not shocked by a whole lot, are we? It's not like we could say, don't be like those people who are smoking cigarettes behind Cinemark, you know, hang out with them. You know, they're probably selling drugs in the back of their cars or something. And see, for us, it's, I mean, we're, we're pretty, let me just say, I think as a society, we're pretty callous as a whole. But I think perhaps one example would be helpful in, in showing and illustrating for us the end of the path, what it would be for us, for if we were to use a modern illustration of sort of the end of this path that Paul is saying, don't walk down. Well, one example would be uh, a, a guy by the name, I, I think I'm getting this right, of Jordan Belfort, who was an infamous scam artist and stockbroker who was exposed, convicted, and jailed by authorities. 
Um, His memoir was, even at the time when it came out, known to be shocking and vulgar, and recently a movie was made about his life, and in an attempt to portray the content of the memoir, this is what one reviewer says about the content of the movie. He, this, the reviewer writes, by my count, there are 22 sex scenes in the movie, but that's an admittedly difficult tally to be dogmatic about, since sometimes it's hard to tell where one ends and another begins. He says, he continues, all told, there are well more than seven hundred profanities, vulgarities, and obscenities crowding every square inch of the film, and a handful more than 525 are F-words, and it's being reported that this is the most usage of that word in any mainstream non-documentary movie ever made, okay? Now, you might think, okay, that sounds crazy, but here's what I want you to get. That is an attempt in a couple hours to sum up this guy's life, right? Because I looked this up, as crazy as that is, this guy was worse than that. He swindled millions of dollars away from both rich people and you know, poorer people. He was abusive to his wife. He put prostitution on his corporate credit card. He crashed a helicopter while drunk and on drugs into his front yard. Now you think, okay, I mean, some of it is humorous because you're just like, that is so crazy. And there's something us that even for our modern sensibilities go, that guy is nuts, like, look, I, I may not have, you know, kept myself pure until marriage, but I, that is not, I'm not doing that, man. I mean, I may have fudged on my tax returns, but no way am I like that, man. Yeah, and, and, and Paul, this is what Paul's doing. He's holding up almost an extreme example of the kind of sensuality and perversion in this culture to say, look, this is the end of the path. This is where it goes. So you need to recognize that all of humanity is somewhere on this path. Some people are dragging their feet. Some people are, are further along than the rest of us. But Paul says, look, that's where this is going. Now, growing up, um, my dad, like all dads, had many dad stories that he would tell to his kids. And you hear these a few different times in different contexts. And, and as a kid, I remember sometimes when I get dirty, he would tell me this story about when he started working for his dad. And one of his jobs working for his dad was to go in uh, this particular day and clean out these trucks that would transport cattle on them. And, and basically, you can imagine if you coop up a bunch of cattle in a trailer for an extended period of time in like El Paso, and then you remove the cattle, what's left in the trailer is not pleasant. Doesn't smell pleasant, doesn't look pleasant. All kinds of different sorts of smells are probably in there. Um, and, and my dad described how he spent the whole day cleaning this thing out, filthy with dung and spit and filth. And when he got home, his mom told him, she, well, she probably smelled him first <laughs> and then told him, do not put those clothes in the washer throw them away. Just like that outfit, that, it doesn't matter how, who bought that for you, how nice it was, that is gone. We're never going to look at that again. You need to put that in the trash can and it, you know, blow it up 
um, in the desert. We're never going to see those things again or smell them again. This is, this is what Paul is trying to get us to see. He uses, as we go on, this metaphor of clothing. And what he's saying is the kinds of clothing that are being worn in the world that humanity as a whole is wearing is filthy and disgusting. And it doesn't matter if you send a team of guys into that, that trailer to clean up after the cattle. One guy's going to be dirtier than the others, but everybody, nobody is coming out of that trailer smelling good. He's saying, look, we have a problem as humanity. Now, What's important to recognize also is that not, does, not only does humanity need change, but Christians need change even after they become Christians. Because look, Paul isn't just saying those people are crazy. He says, now this I say, and, and then he adds this, and testify in the Lord. And it, 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 he like charges them and says, this I say, and, and I'm, it, I, I'm testifying that the Lord Jesus himself would tell you this no longer walk as these people do. Now, why would he say that to Christians? Unless Christians, too, struggle with sin. The Bible is an incredibly honest book. And, it, and it's honest that when we become Christians, our nature is renewed and remade, but we still struggle with sin. As the Puritan John Owen has uh, famously quoted as saying, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That if we as Christians ignore the fact that we have a struggle with sin, if we just try to blow it off, we are going to be taken by our sin and dragged away. So if you think you never have to deal with sin or you don't sin as a Christian or you don't have a struggle with sin at all, Paul says, no, you're wrong. Now, Paul knows he is a, Paul is a good pastor and he knows this church and he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, well, if you're struggling with sin, you need to get out. If you're fighting your sin, if you're in a fight with your sin, if you're battling an addiction, if you're struggling in your marriage, you know what you need to do? Get out of here. Nobody who struggles is supposed to be in the church. No, he loves these people enough to encourage them where they are. Doesn't cast them away. See, one of the greatest lies I think the devil can tell us and we can tell ourselves is to believe that, that if you're struggling at all with sin, that you're not a Christian or that you're the kind of Christian that shouldn't go to church or you, should, you shouldn't go to community group if you're struggling with sin. You shouldn't show up at church. You shouldn't talk to somebody because you're not even good enough. You're not even in the club. The club is for good people and you're not a good person so you get out of here. See, Paul doesn't say that at all. He charges them soberly, don't walk down this path, but he doesn't cast people away, as we'll see. He loves them and he counsels them toward Christ in the middle of that. So there's the lie, that you don't have a sin problem, that, 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 that either you're an unbeliever and you think all this religious sin stuff is overblown, but even if you're an unbeliever, here's what I think. I think you can see some of the effects of this in the world around you and maybe even in your life. You could see the futility of pursuing this path that leads to death. You could see the effects of darkening on your mind and the mind of the people around you. You see a hardness, and that's right. That's exactly what Paul is describing. You need to see that. You need to see that change is necessary. You can't just stay in your sin. But if you're a Christian, 
You also need to see, you, you too need to take sin seriously, that it's a real danger, even though many times it doesn't appear like it. C.S. Lewis wrote a novel called The Great Divorce, and there's a scene in the novel where there's an angel and a man having a conversation, and the man has a little red lizard on his shoulder. And the lizard, him being on the shoulder, is burning this man. He's, he's struggling and, and in the novel, uh, this lizard represents lust or, or a, a propensity to, to sin. And so the angel asks him, may I kill it? And then the man says, honestly, I, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I, I'm sure I'll be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than, than killing it. The gradual process, the angel says, is of no use at all. The man, don't you think so? Well, well, I'll think over what you've said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it now. But as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It would be silly to do it now. I need to be in good health for the operation. So some other day then, perhaps. The angel says, so there is no other day. And he begins to move toward the man. And the man says, you're hurting me now. The angel says, I've never said it wouldn't hurt. I said I wouldn't kill you. The man says, oh, I know, you think I'm a coward, but it isn't that. Really, it isn't. I say, let me run back uh, on tonight's bus and get opinion from my own doctor, and then I'll come again the first moment I can. And then the creature spoke to him and said, be careful. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I I admit, sometimes I've gone too far in the past, but I I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say even quite innocent. See, this is the lie that our sin, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, whispers to you that that you don't have a problem, that that you don't wanna kill your sin. But Paul is pointing out that way leads to death. But there's a second lie. Even if you recognize this, there's a second lie often people ping pong over to, and that lie is that you can't change. So maybe you understand, maybe you see, okay, I need to change, but the second lie you'll be tempted to believe is I can't change. And this is more common, I think, among Christians even than the first lie. And and it can look different in different situations. Maybe you see a a pattern of sin, an addiction like alcoholism or an addiction to pornography, and you think, ah, I'll never beat this. Maybe you try, maybe you take some steps, maybe you give it a shot and you're dragged back down. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses from Ephesians speak to who we are in Jesus and how we became one of his. 
Pastor Ricky will be taking us through the book of Ephesians, seeking the answer to the question, who am I? For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.